Hello, I'm Frank Turner. Welcome to Tales from No Man's Land, a podcast that accompanies my album, No Man's Land. It's about 13 women from history who you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. Their stories are fascinating, moving, funny, and most importantly, worth celebrating and sharing. Welcome back, everybody, to Tales from No Man's Land with me, Frank Turner. Today's episode focuses on one of the more mysterious and possibly apocryphal women that I've written about on my album, No Man's Land. Uh, It's the story of an anonymous young woman who drowned in the River Seine in Paris in the 1880s. One of the things that's unique about her tragic death, and the reason that people have come to know about her and her story, is her peaceful expression. The story goes, the doctor who attended her body in the morgue was so taken with her beauty that he made a death mask of her, partly for identification purposes, but partly because he thought that she was so serene and beautiful that he wanted to capture that expression. And many people agreed she became something of an artistic sensation. Her death mask was famous in Paris in the fin de siècle art world. It captivated so many people that very quickly moulds were made and her likeness was hung on the walls of people's homes across Paris. She became known as L'Inconnu du Seine, the unknown woman of the Seine. Years later, a toy maker discovered her death mask and used it as the face for the first CPR doll. Thus, Rescue Annie was born. But what do we actually know about the real woman behind this myth? Who is the real Annie, in quote marks? Today, I'm going to meet and chat with art historian and curator Katie Hassel to discuss the woman behind the mask. Welcome back to Tales from No Man's Land. And today I am sat in a studio in a basement in Old Street in London. And across the table from me is my new friend, Katie Hassel. Hi, Katie. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm very excited me for us too. to have this conversation. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Um, so today we're here to talk about a song that I've written that's on the new album, No Man's Land. And the song is called Rescue Annie. And this is a song that definitely treads the line between uh, myth and history. And we're going to get into all of that. But let's begin. Uh, if you could tell us uh, what it is that brings you here today and why it is that you're on this podcast. Well, Frank, my name is Katie and I am an art historian and curator. And I'm probably best known for running an Instagram account called The Great Women Artists. Yes, which I've um, seen and enjoyed. Oh, thank you very much. Which I have done pretty much every single day for the last four years. So I sort of spotlight, celebrate women artists right. of all sorts. Yep. Um, so I guess the reason why I'm here today is to talk about representation of women. Well, thank you so much for coming in. No, thanks for um, inviting and, me. Well, your expertise in mm-hmm. the history of art uh, is going to be hopefully useful to us today as yeah, we discuss uh, the story of Rescue Annie. Now, uh, in contrast with a lot of the songs on the record, Rescue Annie is is not or probably isn't a real person or might be. I don't know. We're going to get into this. We'll, but the, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But the reason that we have you in here today is that the story is initially at least an artistic story, mm. I would say. But in the late 19th century, and I guess what we would call fan de siècle uh, art there's a sort of vogue for death masks mm. uh, in general you know masks taken from somebody's corpse after they've died and this is predating photography mm. and over time there is a very popular death mask that starts doing the rounds of the uh, salons of Paris and indeed beyond and she was known as L'Inconnu du Seine it became very sort of fashionable to have her face around the place. I mean, do you know more about the the Vogue for Death Masks and this kind of thing? I mean, it's an interesting one because I've been kind of looking into it and the National yeah. Portrait Gallery in London has about 12 death masks. Okay. Um, but they're mainly of uh, people like William Blake, Shakespeare, basically death masks. Yes, it was a very fashionable thing to do in, the, yeah. in Paris in the um, 18, sort of 60s, 70s. But it was also a kind of statement thing. So yeah. if you were someone of prominence, you if would you, then if, have your death right. mask. You're important enough to have your death mask 
mask made. Exactly. Because I've seen a few over the years in various different places and, and they're quite creepy in yes. their way because it's a corpse. Yeah. You're looking at a dead person's face. But I think the thing that sets Lan Kwanu Desain apart, aside from the backstory, which we'll get to, mm-hmm. alleged or otherwise, is that she is unknown. We don't yeah. know who this person is. There's no record anywhere of who this face might be. So the question becomes, who on earth is this person and why are people interested? And the legend, and it is very much a legend, is that it was a young woman whose body was pulled out of the River Seine in Paris yeah. uh, with no signs of violence. No, it was a very peaceful thing because that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Because... Usually when people drown or they commit suicide, sorry, yeah. quite dark here. Yeah. But, um, you know, usually they would have bruises or they, sure. you know, they wouldn't look as peaceful as she right. did. So she's serene. Exactly. Yeah. Which becomes so interesting when you're kind of talking about the sort of objectification of women sure. as well. Okay. So the, the idea is this pristine, one might say, mm. body is pulled from the same. And a, and a story rises up. And again, that we are very much treading on the boundary between history and myth here. Uh, but that she was or might have been like a virgin suicide, mm. disappointed in love. I mean, this again, we're getting into kind of stories that arise around this that aren't necessarily factually Based on no, anything. I mean, there's been sort of uh, stories made up around the world. I think in Liverpool, someone said this 50-year-old woman, went, um, she was a twin, and her twin had, decades before, gone to Paris, kind of eloped with a man, and then this woman was on her holiday in Paris, saw the inconnu, and right. realised that it was her longest oh, twin. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know so that. So ev- everyone around the world is kind Everybody's of getting in on this. Everybody's had a go. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, French people are very proud of it, but sure. I know I, th- I know the so Brits she might love be, to get involved. So she might be a Liverpool twin. People do like to jump on these things and sort of insert themselves into stories. I don't mean to do down our twin from Liverpool, but, it, <laughs> it, you know. Who she, knows? Who knows? So basically what happened was this doctor found her in the body and then he right. put her on to display and basically it became a sensational thing in Paris. Right. Okay. That this like word got out that there was this beauty who right. everyone could look at. So then everyone was already becoming obsessed. But so this this phrase starts doing the round, and there's a list of kind of famous both artists and art appreciators, should we say, who have a copy of the face mask sort of on their desk hmm. uh, in their salon, should we say? And then the next part of the story that we move on to is that CPR. Mm. becomes a thing. The way that CPR came about right. is in 1956, there was this guy, I can't remember the name. Asmund S. Laerdal. Mm-hmm. He was saving his son from drowning. Right. And so he gave him the kiss of life. Okay. So that's when he was I like, see. okay, we have to make this a real thing. Did we he, have to did, train. Did he just improvise a technique? I or? think he did improvise. <laughs> Otherwise, Lincoln, we might we might have known that Liverpudlian woman. I suppose, well, this is this is the sort of conceit that I put into the song, is that the doctor is sort of struck by how she could have had a set life saved. Yeah. Um, she had people known CPR um, but I love that idea that somebody was just improvising oh yeah yeah um, no, so basically and then he was like okay how am I going to do this and then sure. then remembered that his grandfather had the Lincolnu on his wall right. had the death mask okay. so it was like okay perfect the most like not generic but you know beautiful I mean sure everyone... and, and sort of unclaimed mm, do you know what I mean exactly. it's not, there's no sort of <laughs> copyright yes <laughs> No. And with the amount of idealizations and projected narratives on her, sure. why not add another one well, to Well, quite. So her face becomes the face of the first CPR dummy. And, mm. and I've read, and again, you know, who knows, that it is a sort of tradition that CPR dummies the world over still have this face as the face of the dummy. Yeah. And therefore, this is sort of the line that I got to in my thinking, which... Uh, has its issues, which we'll get into. Um, but, you know, the legend, the myth becomes a woman who, uh, a virgin suicide, the woman who was never kissed, becomes, well, I've used the expression, the most kissed woman in history in the past. Yeah. Now, obviously, CPR and kissing are two slightly different um, activities. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I've never been on the receiving end of CPR. Have you? No, I haven't, but I've done it. Really? With Rescue Annie. 
Oh, okay, Who but I not didn't to realize. a person. Okay, not to a person. No, 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 no. Okay. I, I, I don't think I'd be very good at it. <laughs> but you've trained. I have trained. So, but, if, anything, so if anything goes wrong to me, I hope you'd be me. a little bit better at it. Otherwise, <laughs> Asmund will be upset that his invention okay. didn't work. But so, so, um, uh, <laughs> so you have now sort of kissed Annie. Yeah, we all have. I think. Yeah. I think most people in the country have. To be honest, if you kind of I, work in an office environment, you usually have to. Yeah. You know, do the old first aid safety, training. Yep, yeah, of course. Yeah. So she's become now certainly, let's say, the most sort of. Um, touched pair of lips, mm. um, whether or not it constitutes kissing. But this is also the interesting thing, which I like that you um, touched upon on your song, is the fact that it's as though we're all trying to save Annie every time we give yes. the sort of kiss of life. Right. And she was the one who got away. Or Yeah, she's the one who, um, the artistic vibe I was going for in the song, is she's the one who sort of slipped out of the cruel world of male disregard and all this kind mm. of thing. But I think you put it in a really nice way in that you're talking about Thank forgiveness <laughs> in, in yeah. the show, and, uh, well, in, in the song. And actually, I think that when we look at the wider history of Death Masks and Rescue Annie, it's more kind of objectification than this forgiveness sure. that she was the one who slipped under. Right, exactly. And and indeed, I think in the song, the, one of the suggestions I was trying to get in there is that there's also a degree of self-forgiveness going on there as well as the doctor or, you know, who's the protagonist in the song, if you like. Because now let's get onto the subject of objectification because as a man sort of being involved in that and some sort of consciousness of past injustice mm. shall we say but it, but so this is the thing i mean that right from the beginning most of this story is told by and enacted by male actors yeah um, you know, it's generally speaking, the people who have the face mask on the wall tend to be men. Mm. And the French men who still preserve yeah. the mask to this day. So there's this, there's this amazing studio in Paris that right. still exists. Yes. And they only produce about two casts a year and they're super right. expensive and they're really kind of like oh, proud wow. of the fact that they won't be mass produced elsewhere in the world and they have right. to be produced in this place in Paris. Really? So like, I, did, I, I maybe knew that this place even, existed. But... Maybe even just, I don't know, hold on to that narrative or that yeah. special ethereal... Yeah, there's a sort of ownership there, mm. yeah, of whoever this person might have been, and and in a way, kind of like her identity is missing from the story. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Right from the beginning, and indeed now still, because whether or not she's from Liverpool, this person, <laughs> whoever she might be, was a real person. Yeah. It is someone's face that we're dealing with here. And, you know, you wonder if this person was to be told that they'd become the face of the CPR dummy, how they would feel about it. Mm. But it is, I don't know, peculiar, just the way that she even was like um cast in the first place because this face is so unlike any face of like death yeah. ever before so i think that's what people are so drawn to sure. is this life likeness sure. of it there's a life life likeness of it but there's also just the fact that um you mentioned earlier that she's she's beautiful mm. um and this is where we get into the you know is it men is it is this is just a very odd macabre sort of pinup in a way yeah. you know our men sort of going i've got to fit woman's face <laughs> on my wall regardless of how it got there yeah. is there an angle of that going on here? well interestingly when I saw that it was around the 1860s that yeah. she was found what was happening in art history at that time was you were kind of going from romanticism to the impressionists okay. and that was a lot of kind of looking at every day instead of looking at people who you know classic, classicism has always been a big thing in our sure. history but instead of maybe just um documenting kind of rich upper class sure. normally not that attractive people they sort of going into <laughs> kind of looking at these uh, you know bathers and like women yeah, and sure. there became this kind of like obsessive with the harem okay. and so um, i immediately thought of something like Ang's la sauce which means the spring and there was okay. this, it's this perfect kind of idealized white slim you know very strange kind of idealizations yeah. that society had projected on women sure. or something like manet's olympia or something or renoir's bathers they're all yeah. kind of very 
seducting. If that but that's sense. that's that's interesting, and I should flag up the fact that we've now strayed way off anything I know anything about here. Okay. But, what <laughs> I thought you were huge no, no, oh goodness, no. But but it's interesting because I mean, there's two things going on there. Because on the one hand, in terms of subject matter, there's the sort of the almost democratization in a way. You're moving away from painting aristocrats and, yeah. and gods to painting what are supposed to be more scenes of life. And mm. I suppose in some ways, the rescue Annie is a she is a normal person as far yeah. as we know. I mean, she certainly didn't get sort of identified as being someone famous or mm. missing from an aristocratic family or anything like this. But nevertheless, there is still this kind of like idealization going on. Yeah. So is it Surat? Uh, yes, Surat. Yes. I mean, Surat was more, he was more pointless. Oh, okay. So I would go Damn to it. more, no, it's fine. Very, very good at high <laughs> school. Miss. I would kind of look at more Renoir, Arm, okay. um, even David or something, Manet, sure. um, and also Gauguin or something, because this okay. is also a time when, you know, travel was becoming so much more accessible, sure. and a lot of the male painters um, were actually going around, uh, you know, um, so Gauguin, for example, went to Tahiti or something, and uh, documented all these kind of very beautiful women in yeah. these kind of bathing scenes and everything, sure. and it was a kind of very it became a kind of quite popular and trendy uh, subject for yeah. um, artists at the time. Right, but but it's still you're saying it's still kind of idealized. It's still it's not necessarily they're not necessarily painting sort of fat wrinkly people on the beach. No, it, it's very much looking at the idealization of women. And actually, right. I, I almost think that some of the women in Ang's work in particular it almost looked like Rescue Annie. So I wonder if they right. actually even saw yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Because there was this obsession, now we're getting into the Cubists, but Picasso, for example, was obsessed right. with masks. Yes. And he made this, um, his very famous painting, Le Demoiselle d'Avignon, yes. yeah. uh, was actually based on African masks. So right. there was yes. this fascinating fascination yeah. going on, but that also, that's not idealisation of women. Yeah. Um, but I do think that yeah, there is this total idea of projecting this idealised narrative, and this idealised yeah. woman. You know, the fact that, I mean, we still live in a society obsessed with youth culture. But, sure. you know, when I'm reading more about Lincoln, we're really talking about this 16-year-old virgin and this right. kind of obsession yes. with young, white, particularly sort of beautiful um, a, figures. Pu- pure. There's pure. a purity. Yeah. Yes, which is, which is slightly, I don't know, I find... Um, like perverse in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it is. There is a sort of slight creepiness about the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, even, even there, I say it on the part of the doctor in the sense his motive in trying to sort of help with CPR generally seems like a good one mm. to me. But to pick this particular face to use as a mask for it, there is still there's something slightly kind of. Um, yeah, creepy about that in a funny way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I just don't think, for example, you're not going to get society's idea of unattractiveness well, on, not, on yeah, one of these dominants not because gonna, everyone's going to be yeah. wanting to kiss. And it's also interesting that it's you know it's, it's a woman as well. Sure. So well, why... so it's not Samuel Johnson's death mask that they're no. using for this. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, and I mean, is this because they're trying to encourage people to do it in mm. the first place? You know, there's something odd about the fact that you sort of got this body. I mean, we're talking about objectification. I mm. mean, you are literally making it into an object. And I think that it's important for us to retain the information that this is a real person on some level and this face belonged to a real person. But I think it's also when you come to objectification of women, women are kind of being used as... I mean, dummies and dolls, whatever, forever, in the sense that women also, in the very patriarchal society we live in, um, they've never really been given a personality, if that makes sense. So I'm thinking about someone like Cindy Sherman, the photographer, who has got an incredible exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery right now. She's built her career out of self-representation. So whether that's representing herself as someone in a fairy tale, representing herself as like a US senator's wife, you know, there's these all semi-idealizations sure. of women but one of her really interesting um, works was from the 80s which was yeah. called Untitled Film Stills and what she did was basically adapt 
sort of Hitchcockian characters. So yeah. they were never based on a single narrative. So they weren't, yeah. oh, I'm not going to take Grace Kelly's role the, from the Rear the Window. Tropes, exactly, yeah. they're tropes. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that is that these photographs are kind of these pivotal moments yeah. and often, yes, have these prosthetic masks on and everything. So yeah. we're getting to the idea again of the mask and sure. this kind of like unidentified woman. Yeah. In this moment where no one knows what's going on. And that really struck sort of Lincoln with me because I think, you know, we've got this almost film-like moment, but actually yeah. no one knows what happened before and no one kind of no one really knows sure. what happened afterwards because it's, it is it's, this unknown woman. But I think what you're meant to do then in Cindy Sherman's photography is actually project your narrative right. onto that. So it's shorn of context, but in a way that then becomes usable on a personal level, yeah. right? Because you can inject your own story into it. Exactly. Yeah. Which so. I also think is interesting <laughs> in terms of like the way that women are also portrayed in the media, for yeah. example, and how I think women are much more sort of scrutinised. I think that's another sure. thing about um, if you are this mask, if you are this like death mask almost and you're gone and the way that the way that the media or whoever can like sort of project this idealization that this narrative happened when actually it wouldn't whereas you know the women in the media are much more scrutinized than men So with the song that I've written, have you had a chance to listen to the song? I have. It's very beautiful. It's oh, thank of, you. I, I know I'm talking about this kind of really dark yeah. angle of the Lincoln, but I think yours is a kind of love song to Well, it words. is kind of. It's a romantic song. But I mean, this is the thing I'm interested in chatting to you about. So to be completely upfront about it, this was one of the first songs I wrote for the record, and it was before a time when I was thinking about this as being a history record or indeed being a gender-specific history record. It was just I read the story um, with a bit of artistic license and reliance on myth rather than history. It seemed like a beautiful beautiful story to tell if a tragic one you know uh, since this project since no man's land the album has sort of emerged somewhat into the public domain there's been some criticism of the record from various points philosophically speaking some of which i will take on board and and pay attention to and all the rest of it some of it's people shouting on twitter but that's fine there are moments in the song that sort of vaguely touch upon the themes of objectification and male view of women that we talked about but like my central aim i think looking at it was kind of sympathy for the individual that was the intent and the doctor is our protagonist but he's filled with kind of remorse and sadness at his failure as a medical professional in a funny way you know he didn't save her life and indeed uh, and again this is very much artistic license. The story I've sort of implicitly told is that she was unlucky in love somehow, rejected, you know, and that there was somebody, um, you know, who rejected her um, and therefore she's killed herself by jumping in the river, which, again, may or may not be true. But, you know, so there's she has been effectively wronged twice, if you like. Yeah. You know, once by the lover who spurned her, yeah. shall we say, and once by the doctor. she ran away from Liverpool for. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, and then and then once by the doctor and indeed it's as the song sort of says the people who pulled her out of the river you know who all failed to rescue her I mean obviously part of the lyric also comes from the fact that rescue Annie is both a name and possibly an imperative yeah. which makes for an interesting linguistic turnaround do you know do you know why she's called Annie that was a question I was going to ask you oh no Oh, no, um, I don't. I do know that, um, just to broaden the controversy potential for this mm. episode, that um, the Michael Jackson song where he says, Annie, are you OK? Oh, yes. Apparently is a reference to Rescue Annie. Well, when I was Googling Rescue Annie, all these kind of 80s Michael Jackson albums kept yeah. popping up. 
which makes you stop furiously deleting your internet history <laughs> yeah, yeah, in this I day and age. I swear I haven't Googled that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not really sure why. Whilst I only found that out after finishing the song, that it sort of it felt sort of like poignant to me. But it way. is really interesting how also uh, almost joining this club of artists and writers mm. and singers and everything who have actually referenced Annie in their work. So for yeah. example, like Man Ray um, sure. also referenced her in his, his work and she's been in lots of novels and everything. Yeah. And she always plays this character, I think, that... No one really knows about it. I mean, it's the, the story that we are the unknown yeah. woman. But the question is, is that or can that be a respectful approach artistically? Do you know what I mean? Because there's obviously a way of doing that that is objectification, um, you know, and it's sort of like, as we were saying, it's shearing a face of context in such a way that uh, anyone can overlay their story on it. And if the uh, protagonists and indeed writers are male, then quite often they're projecting male values on this unknown face but the question is can it can it be done in a way that's respectful which I th- I like to think is what I was trying to do I think definitely but I think well, you're, it's interesting saying that it's all men who are including her in their artwork I wonder what a female or maybe it's because men sure. just care more about yeah. this lost woman but I think definitely there can be a kind of really positive and very respectful angle which I think yeah. you've taken because it's I've, almost I've like you know <laughs> it's, it's amazing but but you know I think that you know, we're looking at someone who is supposedly kind of like virgin suicide, 16 yeah. years old. And it's like, God, what could have been? And actually, sure. the fact that no one even knew her is, right. is, is she's kind of almost live, reliving her life, yeah. being reimagined into the world. Right. And well, and this is the thing. I think that the tragic part of the story to me isn't the fact that she was unlucky in love. The important part of this for me and, and the, pit, the bit that I wish to stress now if I didn't succeed in doing so in the song is that it's a real person yeah. that we're talking about here in a real life that got swallowed up. And we can have these discussions about representation about art and all this kind of thing but uh art is a is an interpretation of life totally would you agree absolutely discuss a visual interpretation yeah or or, or... Or sonic exactly yeah so so you know i think that it's important for us to remember that but um you know there are lyrics in the song about like forgiving her which was supposed to be kind of bitterly ironic to me because the point is is that she's the one person who doesn't need to be forgiven yeah do you know what i mean but it's interesting what you're saying in the sense that you know the way that the art projects in a way that she's almost like this blank canvas that everyone's got this kind of idealized classical woman and you're sure. projecting your version on her yeah I, I definitely am doing that yes yeah. and I'm, I'm as guilty as any of the other artists that we've just been discussing uh in 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 doing that i was thinking about this the other day my partner and i were discussing the fact that there's an awful lot of good novels where they sort of have an ideated female character who then dies yeah. and and you think to yourself you got dumped do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. there's, a, there's a sort of there is a thing about men in art sort of creating idealized women and then not being particularly nice to them. I mean, it happens all the way through film history, through literature, and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and I'm sort of hoping that I haven't done too much of that here. No, I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think at all. But what was your kind of initial reaction when you did find out about her? Did you want? Did you have this? narrative that you knew about her because um, you really talk about forgiveness but I don't think anyone else has they've almost just made up this whole dream world about yeah. her like that she was the South American film star or whatever who did you yeah. see her as? I, I think I think the point for me was the character that I was able to identify with more because I'm, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I am or indeed I'm trying to identify with the individual Annie or whatever her name really was Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, you know, the doctor is the person who's kind of captured my attention. And from a songwriting point of view, there's a tragedy to being a doctor because you can't always succeed and sometimes you won't save a life or you won't heal the sick and that's no fault of your own quite a lot. And I'm now thinking of scenes from ER mm. where somebody goes, I'm not a god, I can't save everyone. <laughs> um, probably my favourite part of the lyrics is the bit at the end where it says, you know, every year come early summer, he lingers down there by the river. I like the idea that he just sort of, throughout the rest of his long career as a medical professional, he's haunted by the one he couldn't save and he goes down to the place where she was found. It's actually really interesting that you should include that lyric because when I was thinking about the story, and I don't know if I imagine, I've got a wild imagination and I'm imagining, yes, there's a kind of very pure woman, but I'm imagining the time that they found her was yeah. also this kind of maybe like dusk or something. Yes, it was the dusk. summer. Well, and, 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 it's, and it's strange that you said summer because I was thinking that she was just this like harmonious, beautiful, smiling somehow. Yeah, sure. Who was dragged out, but then it was like all was fine and all was serene. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I suspect why both of us have done that. I've got a theory, <laughs> although I'm hoping that you can supply a name here that will make us both sound intelligent. There's that famous collection of photographs of the banks of the Seine on summer nights. There's the one with the couple kissing, leaning against the bank. Are these kind of more like... Are these like these are sort advised? of 1950s okay. photographs. But there's a famous one. Because the Seine has some quite wide banks with kind of sloping embankments in quite a few places. And there's one, and it's sort of taken from a bridge down over the river. Um, anyone who's listening to into this and knows what I'm talking about, please do tweet me and then we can re-record this episode and we'll sound smart. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, but there's, you know, there's a couple lying on the ground kissing on the side, but it's it's a beautiful summer's night. Mm. And, and I think that's an image, when I think of the Seine generally, that's an image that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. And also, I wanted, did you go to the Seine? Uh, not specifically for this song. I have been many times. Um, I spent quite a lot of time in Paris when I was younger. Yeah. You know, it's a serene and romantic place. I mean, Paris is the city of romance and all the rest yeah. of it. Which I, and I think that fact, I think, is an influence on these lyrics as well. Yeah. Or in the story in general. And I mean, there is something, I suspect that this story, this whole legend might not have arisen in a different city. No, totally. And I think especially what was happening at the time, like I was talking about with the artists mm. and how Impressionism was just about to happen. And, you know, people were painting things every day, you know, Berth Morisot, um, yeah. scenes of, um, you know, people in boats or something. And, it, and, and when you look at someone like Monet's idealizations of the Seine, it sure. is these really harmonious... They're kind of dreamy. Totally dreamy. Yeah. And I don't know why, I mean... I have to admit, I don't find Paris that dreamy. <laughs> I'm more of a kind of Rome person. Okay, but, um, but I do, I do. Sorry, problem. But I, but I think that you know, I, there is so much again idealized projections onto Paris. Sure, like how yeah. everyone's like, oh, I wish I could go back in time to the twenties yeah. in Paris. Like I don't know, I'm thinking about like Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen's film sure. that I think is brilliant. Yeah. And it's like we all have these idealizations and then yeah. that gets really interesting because we're projecting this idea on this woman who we think is the most i mean also do we think she's pure maybe she's evil that's an interesting <laughs> thought which which hadn't crossed my mind i mean maybe she was up to no good maybe i don't know it's 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 i mean because we don't know i know but it's i i, it was but just I wonder a, if she was any other sh shape or size or a man or anything that we would feel well i think same. we probably wouldn't be telling this story and that raises a really interesting point um you asked me before we were recording whether there was a common thread running through all mm. the stories that i've done for this record and the short answer is no uh, other than that i felt that these were interesting stories that i could tell effectively in a song but there is uh, an angle to take on the, the body of work as a whole, which it's not quite as simple as this statement makes it out, but there is something to this. The idea that these stories would not be the stories they are if they were about men, or indeed we, we probably would have heard more of them. You know, yeah. if, if Nika Rothschild was a man, if uh, Cassiani had been a man. Um, 
This is a slightly different angle on that point, namely that if we were to... I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were men pulled out of the Seine yeah. in this period of time who probably had death masks on because there was this functional aspect to it in an age before photography of corpses. If for the purposes of identification, you make a death mask and you can display it places so that yeah. somebody can say, hey, well, I know who well, that well, is. Well, that's also an important thing because I'm looking at the, again, National Portrait Gallery's collection sure. of death masks. And um, yes, they've got um, Blake and Shakespeare and whoever, but they've also got Tracy Emin. Right. So a few years ago, she... Famously not dead. Famously not dead. Yes, that's the kind of interesting thing. Right, okay. But then this was a kind of status thing. So, right. So because it was a, you know, to be... Um, to be immortalised in a death mask, yeah. pre-photography, uh, you had to kind of be of a man of status or whatever. Well, it's quite she expensive, wanted, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. very expensive. Yeah, yeah. She wanted to kind of almost join those men in those clubs. So sure. she, she cast again, but she looks serene, which is also yeah. interesting. She would have had some influence over her facial expression in a way that the dead might not have done. <laughs> Definitely. Um but it's also interesting that she's putting herself on the same level as these men, you know, saying I'm sure. Tracy Emin, although, you know, she's still alive yeah. or whatever, and immortalising herself in bronze. Maybe, well, let's look at it in the sense that it's actually a very respectful thing to have done. Sure. Remove the objectification, actually saying, yeah. you know, this woman, yes, yeah. she has beauty, but maybe she is also of importance as well. Yeah. Well, and I think that we haven't touched about as well, there is something incredibly intimate, I think, about yeah. capturing the face of a corpse. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this is you when the race is run. And indeed, as I, as I sort of alluded to as a joke then, but it's a serious point, where, at a point where you, you're not pulling a face, you're not putting on a face for the world, it is just what you look like when the spirit is left, or however you yeah. want to phrase that. It's just it's like this, this moment of complete unguardedness. This was one of the hardest songs to write on the record. My enduring memory of writing this song is that I, I had the idea, and I think I had a note in a notebook that said Rescue Annie for yeah. ages. Writing for me is quite often quite a fluid process after a point, as in you sort of have an idea and then your brain chooses it over Do you start it. with the lyrics or the music? It depends. Okay. In this case, the lyrics, I think. But what I remember is I had a notebook in my flat and I wrote down the first line and it stayed there for a week. And then I wrote down the second line and then it stayed there for a week. And it just took like a week a line to write this bloody song. <laughs> and like I say, usually things come a little quicker than that, but it just was pulling teeth. The technique that I use as a writer, which I think I'm sure there are artistic equivalents of this, which is sometimes to just play what you got and then just keep going as if it was already existed and let your mind, almost like you're improvising. It's like yeah. freestyling as it were. And there was a moment where I was playing through what I have and then suddenly the whole section of the extended uh, chorus at the end with the every year come early summer, he lives down there by the river. Um, that bit just went bleh and just arrived, mm. um, which made me feel like I was channeling something. And again, you know, I'm not a particularly supernatural person, but it, it felt good. When you were writing the song, did you find it hard maybe because of the lack of narrative and the way that yeah. you had to kind of create that narrative for yes. yourself? Yes. I mean, this is definitely, well, this is where this song is a piece of fiction rather than a piece of history. Because yeah. with some of the songs on the record, the song about Dora Ham, for example, I have a series of facts and narrative about her life that I had to fit in to an existing structure. And it was an interesting thing as a writer because I, would, I literally sat there being kind of like, you know, I need to get to 1878 by the end of verse two. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? Which is, you know, you sort of allocated uh, moments of narrative. But there is no real narrative here and, I, and it's not a song about fans salons in Paris no, do you no, know no, what no. I mean it's about the events themselves but, uh, but also were you thinking more because in a way I've almost divorced the idea of CPR from my mind in a weird mm. in a strange way and I'm really thinking about who she was and maybe death masks sure. and the story and yeah. when I'm thinking about I don't know Rescue Annie I don't see a CPR I see a 
face. Yeah, sure. This, I think, is somewhere in here is the point, is that every time anyone, because there's a line in the song uh, where it sort of says, you know, in darkened storage rooms of hospitals across the world, she waits for the missing kiss that damned her to her fate. Mm. You know, uh, every time, because of the use of this face, every time somebody, anybody does CPR on a dummy, they are in some way channeling back to this original individual. Or even in real life, because we were like, okay, yeah. that, that's, that's cast my mind back when I was in that first aid course or whatever with Rescue Annie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I saving Annie? Uh, exactly. Can we can oh, we save really her? Emotional. Can you save her? And the, of course the answer is no, you can't because she died. But there is this, that's in a way is what the song is about. Every song on this record isn't just about the person it's about. It's about something else. That's the nature of songwriting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a way, this song is about all of us futilely trying to save a thing that can't be saved with our actions later in life. They found a body in the water Floating face down in the river The one who found her called the doctor Or so they say Not a scratch, she wasn't bleeding Sixteen years old, died a virgin Unlucky lover, she did herself in So they say Rescue Annie from the river With every kiss she is delivered From the depths and we forgive her for falling in They say the doctor could have saved her if he'd come a little sooner It broke his heart to know he lost her to the world And though he couldn't rescue Annie, he resolved tell her story he used her face to make a body to teach the world rescue Annie from the river with every kiss she is delivered from the depths and we forgive her for falling Darken storage rooms of hospitals across the world. She waits for the missing kiss that damned her to her fate. And he sinks down to the bottom The one who spurned her is forgotten Well, she is cherished by a million pairs of lips 
Rescue Annie from the river Help her breathe, try to forgive her Press her chest, always remember That in her heart we find our harbor So there it was, the song Rescue Annie. I hope you enjoyed it, Kate. Beautiful. Um, and uh, thank you so much for coming in today. I feel like we've covered an awful lot of ground. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, well, I've learned many things about Impressionism and uh, about uh, art generally, <laughs> and indeed about Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a, it's a funny one. I feel like it's also one of those stories that I feel like I'm just going to spend my life just casually it's dripping into. Yeah, it's haunting, which I think is the point. And in a way, as a writer, the fact that we know less about it may, frees me up yeah. to a degree. But I, I think that um, I, the most fascinating part of today for me, and I think that I would encourage you or indeed anybody listening to this, you know, we talked about the fact that most interpretations of Annie have been, uh, have been male. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see... Um, female artists engaging with this story totally and taking so it forward so fascinating yeah and I think they'd probably come up with a very different take on the whole thing which would be for the all for the good absolutely well thank you so much thank um, you so much Frank uh, yes and uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed the podcast So, thanks very much to Katie. That was a great chat. We went really off-piste, which is one of my favourite parts about making podcasts when we get deep into the history weeds. Make sure that you follow her Instagram account, which is at The Great Woman Artists. Um, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can give it a review as well. It does help us spread the message further. You can now buy or stream my album No Man's Land wherever you get your music from, including the song discussed in this podcast, Rescue Annie. And on the next episode, we'll be discussing the legendary patroness of bebop jazz in New York in the 1950s, Nika Rothschild. Tales from No Man's Land is produced by me, Frank Turner, Extra Mile Recordings, and something else. <laughs>